to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We're going to continue looking at this idea of um, identity and opportunity. Um, and if you remember a couple of weeks ago starting this, uh, the whole idea was uh, getting us to think through, um, is my identity in Christ and what the Bible says, like the songs that we just sang, that, that, um, that you are for me, not against me, that I'm chosen, not forsaken, that, that my identity is in you and the things that, that you have thought about me and, and given me, God, the things that you have imputed towards me, this whole bank account of imputed righteousness. Am I living that out or do I tend to be just like a fish in water that doesn't recognize it's wet? If everyone else is acting this way, I can act this way also, even as a Christian. So is my identity in Christ, and I'm learning the path of the guy who died on the cross? Or is my identity just like everyone else? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church on Sundays. Um, I, I give some money. Um, I, I do these things. But really, the way that I treat people is not really like Christ would have me treat them. It's just the way that I want to. And so our personality hasn't changed. It hasn't gotten down to the practicals about how we treat each other. So is my identity more... Um, just about, well, I'm a, um, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, or I'm a, a father, or I'm, I'm a hunter, I'm a fisherman, I'm a, a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer, I'm, I, I'm a janitor. Whatever that is, is my identity more in that than it is in, in Christ? And so that's what we want to look at. And so some of these things are confrontive because a lot of places would, would want to teach you um, kind of this American Christianity that still it's more about your rights as an American instead of, man, following Christ may equal loss in some ways. And that's hard. None of us, I mean, right now it's January. Who goes, hey, I hope in March our family goes through this really difficult period and then it gets worse in like June and July and we just get on this rough path of following Christ. Like, no one's planning that, right? Like we're all, we, we quote the, the blessing Proverbs and the blessing Psalms, right? And so that's what we want. And, and it doesn't mean that God um, wants destruction for everyone, but I was there in the original crowd, um, you know, 40,000 college students when John Piper on the one day in 1999 or 2000, when he said, you know, I've been, I've been praying for nine months. Spirit of God, Holy God, what do you want to say to 40,000 20-somethings? And he said, here's the message. God wants to ruin your life. And that's not happy when you were like, we, it had rained the whole night before and we were sitting out there and, and we're there. We, we traveled all the way over with about 14 people, some college students and Jamie and I. And um, we, we get there and it starts raining for about three days beforehand. So it's complete mud. Just ever, everywhere out in Shelby Farms, Memphis, and at forty thousand people, um, email had started then. Right, Sinky wasn't on email yet. So one of the announcements was, "Hey, when you get there, forty thousand people on this huge place, there's going to be porta potties, but it's going to be bad. It's going to be raining. Um, everyone is fasting and praying leading up to that. Sankey doesn't get that email. Sankey, because everyone's camping in tents, Sankey brings his smoker, little cooker." Barbecue grill. So here we set up the barbecue grill. We've got chicken, sausage, all kinds of stuff just steaming. 40,000 people. People are walking by almost flipping us off, staring at us like, I can't believe you. Just staring like people are holding them back. We're just kicked back. And then finally, two or three hours later, after this billowing sacrificial meat's been offered to our little 14 people, people are like, hey, you know everyone's been fasting for like 24 hours at this point. And we were just like, oh, God. So we look like the real spiritual ones, you know, kick back on our stool, eating, you know, like, hey, how you guys doing? A barbecue on our face. And so that was our experience of uh, one day with John Piper. And then the next day, God wants to ruin your life. And I'm sure everyone's like, not those people. You know, th- these people are trying to live at large there in the middle of one day. And so that message, God wants to ruin your life, has been a theme. And so um, now I have a wonderful, wonderful life. 
um, when you look at comparatively across the globe, right? Um, but we want to be able to look and say, hey, if God begins to do something in your life, we want to resist it at any point. Um, but, but God may be doing something of depth that you couldn't sign on for. He wants to do something in the heart. And so part of that is for your own soul. Part of that is for the people around you. And so, so when we bring up these things, we're going to be bringing up um, the Sermon on the Mount. It was completely countercultural then. It was offensive to the religious people. You'd think that Jesus, the, the, the main religion guy, right, would, he would say a message that the religious people would go, yes, yes, that, that's me. That's me. That's me. And in fact, they got, this is like starting point. Like this is when they start getting ticked off. Like, I think some of us need to kill him. Right? And so Sermon on the Mount was the first time this huge sermon to these people. And so we're going to look at some of those. And I want you to just begin to contrast thinking through your life, thinking through the culture around you. Um, are we more like the Sermon on the Mount and, and begin, beginning to grow in the characteristics and, and the, the qualities that we see expressed there that Jesus says, this is my kingdom people? Um, or are we just more of mainstream? Just like, and I can be this way. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that girl. And so I want you to think through that because it brings up a great opportunity. It's not an opportunity if you don't change. It's not an opportunity. You don't stand out and, and, and look like a follower of Christ. You're just in the mainstream because our culture sees a different view, and that's what we're going to be looking at. So uh, the first thing is I wanted to say we've got a new website. Um, and so one of the things that one of the changes up there is we've got this kind of, it's kind of a vision statement, but it will probably change over some time. But first of all, the, the sojourn mission statement is, to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, to equip the saints, and to extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. So you, you want to track along and see that your, your business, your corporation, your life, whatever you're doing, you may have a mission statement for that. Um, that's been there since the beginning. Worked on uh, at our church in Tahlequah. We helped rewrite mission statement there, rewrite core values, rewrite... Uh, um, some different things there as far as the documentation and the church bylaws. Uh, new beginnings. Went through a whole process of about three years, um, redoing, revisiting the um, mission statement, the core values. Um, changed several of those things. Completely changed the, uh, the, the mission statement. The mission statement when I got there was uh, look up, uh, re reach up, reach in, reach out. So, okay. And so we just we, we kind of just joked around like oh, I don't I, and you understand what that means like reach up love God right uh, reach out love your neighbor uh, reach in go deeper with Christ right so and we were just like okay it has nothing to do with making disciples and so making disciples church planting missions uh, evangelism um, growing this and so we, we kind of we changed that and so it's now much about making disciples to to measure that and so that's what we want to do if you notice the verbs there to exalt and to enjoy man just a great one hey if we're I'm a part of sojourn. We want to grow in exalting and enjoying the supremacy of Christ. And so you may go, man, as a first identity step, man, just take this week and go, am I learning to exalt and enjoy Christ Monday through Saturday? Not just Sunday when we sing three to four songs. Um, the next verb is to equip the saints. Am I a part of, beyond, beyond the Sunday service, am I a part of any equipping? I want to be pushing you this year for, for many of us to get into little triads of discipleship to where it's just two or three people uh, meeting together. So equipping that goes on. Uh, we'll probably be able, now that we're in this space, to have some classes, um, so some different classes, equipping classes at different times. That's equipping the saints. And then extending, extending the gospel to all people. We're always doing gospel word and gospel deed, okay? That doesn't mean that, you know, it's not the old-fashioned, hey, you, you sit down at a, uh, a table for lunch with your coworker that you've been around for 11 years and you've never mentioned Christ yet before, and now after 11 years you've never brought up Christ, and now you go, hey, uh, on a scale of 0 to 100, what percent would you say that you would go to heaven? Like, you don't have to do it that way after 11 years not talking to him about Christ. Like, that's not necessarily gospel word. It is a kind of gospel word, right? But, but uh, right now, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? Would you want to bow your head and pray this prayer? Like, you, you may do that. It, it may not be real healthy. But, but anyway, it, more of a conversation. Hey, man, how are things going in life? Ha, ha, just opening conversation. Hey, here, here's what, man, God's been really teaching me some things. And you usually don't want to start that like, God's really been teaching me some things of how good I am compared to the other people that work here. Right? You don't want to start with that. It's like, God's really been man, just humbling me and showing, and, and don't do the false humility. And then you know, he's been humbling me because I'm such a great leader. And he's just been humbling me because I just, I'm just you know, blessed so much. Uh, he's humbling me because I'm so much smarter and better than the other people. That, that's not expressing humility. But 
he's been humbling me in the way uh, that I treat my wife. He's been humbling me in the way that, man, I, I, I lust for so many things. Instead of being content, you see, that's a, that's a countercultural slap in the face, isn't it? Like people, don't, people around you don't talk that way. You see, identity in Christ, I'm doing that, versus, man, American culture just says more, 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 gain, gain, gain. And, and, and man, guys, just to be honest, we're probably still going to be just gaining and gaining. We're, we live in comfort. We live in a lot. It's not that, you know, if you just make this decision, like, no, I want to follow Christ more, more, more uh, solemnly, that, that your ha- whole life has to be wrecked. It, it probably, just because of where we live and because of our great country, that there is going to be continued blessing. But God may still want to take you deeper on that. And so um, here, here's the statement. So that's the mission statement. Here's the statement about, um, that I want us to really think through the next, you know, maybe five years, but we want to help bring change to the way people view Christianity. The local church in Jesus Christ. Now, why would you say a statement like that? Number one, it could be in, in church planting, you should got to know. So there's a lot of church planters who are like, they're sick of the church they're in. They hate the other pastors that they're on staff with. They're frustrated. So they go, you know what? I'm taking my ball and I'm going to start something new. And we're finally going to get it right. You guys didn't know what you're doing. We're going to finally get that like church planting assessment. Like, no, 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 no. There's no one that's going to go and finally get it right and do it all right. And, and yours is going to be so much better. Uh, and so that's not what the mentality you want to have. So what we don't mean in that is that um, we are finally going to be the ones who get Christianity right. We are finally going to be the ones who get all the things about church right. But what it is saying is that there are some things about people's view about Christianity outsiders so thinking through outsiders thinking through even the 40 or 50 million that left the church uh, thinking through the outsiders view the lost people what is their view of christianity what's their view of the local church uh, i'm a pastor so before people find out that i'm a pastor you'll be standing around different people and, and it'll come out real quickly like if they're like oh yeah i was, I was at a thing the other day my pastor was there he's just always wanting money you know they're all and so in some churches in tulsa they take up four offerings a sunday right and so from the time you get there it's about the money you better give if you want to receive and if you'll give more god's obligated to give you more so a lot of times people think that and so going like man what are people's views of the local church Man, it's an organization trying to get your money or to get you to give and give and give more, and they're promising you lies. That's a lot of lost people's view. They're um, you know, just bad car salesmen that are not, not doing a very good job. Um, so Christianity, the local church, and Jesus Christ, what are people's views on Christ? What's the lost world's view on Christ? So um, in saying that, we are not saying we're changing Christianity. Um, True biblical Christianity cannot and will not ever need nor go through change. But we can assess what many people's views on Christianity are and see that they're far off. They're far off from biblical Christianity. Just, and if you don't believe me, ask, people, ask five people. Hey, what would you say is the definition of Christianity? Tell me what you think of when you hear the word Christianity. Just, just see what people say. You'll get five really weird different answers a lot of times. And we're in the Bible Belt, right? Um, we're not in Seattle or New York City. Um, also, uh, so we're not saying that we're changing Christianity. We're saying we want to help bring change to people's views of what Christianity is actually to be about. Can you see why humility and um, a grace-orientedness would be better than just a, a prideful stance? We do everything right. My family does everything right. We, we don't make the mistakes you make with your kids. We don't do the thing. Do you see the difference there? So we want to change people's views on Christianity. Um, also, not changing or, or finally having all the fixes for the church. We're not saying that finally, after everyone else's weak and failing attempts, that we've got it right. Not at all. I mean, if you can go through church planting, look, look where you're sitting. We obviously don't have it right. And so uh, there's nothing that it's the Spirit's work. It's the Spirit's work in our lives, though, and working through us. And so we wouldn't want to ever say that. But we can easily assess many people's views on the local church are far off. Again, go, go and ask five people. Hey, what, what would you say that the church exists for? What would you say that the church you grew up in, what was it about? You're going to hear some very interesting things, right? Um, we're definitely not trying to change Christ. Um, the third thing there, no more um, Jesus identity modifications or ethnic transitions or skin tone transitions. No more recreating Jesus into our own image, right? We know everyone's trying to do that. Um, we do not mean Jesus needs to be changed. No, but clearly people's view of Jesus needs some biblical clarity through gospel word and gospel deed. 
And so some of the biggest things about the people that have left the church or that won't come to church is they say, Christians say these things. And so we, we, can, we know a few things about Jesus. The people that are around me that say that they're Christians look nothing like that. Now, in saying those three things, Christianity, the local church, and Jesus Christ, that we want to help bring change to that, um, never, never, never should a church go, we're going to ask the lost world what their views of us are, and we're going to then change to make them happy. That's not what I'm saying at all. So that, that's liberal theology. That's saying, hey, let's go ask lost people what it would take to get them there. And by the way, you can grow churches that way. You can grow whole church denominations that way of going like, hey, lost people, what would you like us to be like? You know, like, oh, well, tell me I'm great. Okay, I'll make my sermons about how great you are. Uh, tell us that we're the greatest thing ever and that, that you know, it's not about God's love or it's not about these things. It's just that I'm great. Like, and people love to hear that. And so you can gather huge crowds by that. So we're never going to do that. But uh, tell me, what happens when large majorities of people have an unclear at best or an erroneous, a false understanding at worst view of Christianity? What happens when people have a false view of Christianity? When people have a false wrong view of the church what happens what happens when they have a wrong understanding of christ and again we are not going to ever be a place where we are going to be um, trying to say um, that we are, we're going to base our identity on what outsiders want that, that's not it we have our this is why we go to biblical convictions these are these are like ballasts um, that, that they are immovable ish, uh, unshakable and so uh, we want to think through that so we want to help bring change to the way people view Christianity, the local church, and Jesus Christ. Um, on the website, um, I had this up there. Um, we are on a journey as sojourners on this earth. Jesus is leading us. We are in process, in need of grace. So first thing, it's on the landing page. So right there. So think through that. Um, I don't think the outsiders, the lost world, have that view of Christians that we're a people that recognize our need for grace a lot of times. Now, again, so when I'm saying these things, I'm reading vast amounts of books. I'm reading about across the United States. I'm not even trying to do some global stuff. Global stuff is really kind of very ambiguous right now. It's really very different things are going on in some weird parts. Good things are going on in some weird parts. You're like, how did that, how's God doing that in a completely broken, jacked up thing? I'm just talking about just the U.S. So when I say these things, I'm not saying you in particular, you and your family, you're the ones doing this. When I paint these pictures, what I'm saying is this is what people are saying clearly 10 out of 10 times, 20 out of 20 times. This is what they view about Christianity. This is what they think. This is what happens over and over. Millions of people Let's be aware of that and not join into that. Let's be aware, self-aware. Remember we talked about that. We spent two or three sermons on that, uh, having self-awareness. Know yourself and the doctrines you believe. Be aware of yourself and those doctrines. So we're not being a hindrance like a lot of the, the Christian uh, world has been in, in certain areas to where certain churches have, have mis, um, represented Christ, misrepresented the church, and misrepresented Christianity. So when I'm doing those things, it's not saying, hey, you, you in particular, you families in sojourn, you're the ones messing this up. I'm saying, let's be different in that where we're aware of the things that, that maybe Christianity as a whole or whole church cultures just get caught up on the wrong things. And we don't want to be aware. We don't want to be a part of that. And so um, we're on a journey. We're in need of grace. I wonder if that's what people would say about me. When, when I'm around him a lot, man, he's just a person. Man, he's, man, it's clear that he understands he's in need of grace. Is that what people would say about you? Or would they say, man, the, the, the eight people around you like, like, I just don't talk to him because he's just always right. Never been wrong about a thing in his life. Will debate you and argue with you and destroy you. And he's sure, so proud that he goes to church on Sunday and none of us do. That's what the break room's like. That's what the, the um, little lunchtime is like away from you. Or are they going, you know what? I can't stand the ideas of God. I want to live like I want to live. I want to pursue pleasure and sensuality in my own path. But man, I, I, mean, I don't believe that holy book, the Bible. But man, the things I've heard about Jesus, she, she does. She lines up with that. He does. He lines up with that. I see those things. You see the difference there, our identity, and what kind of opportunity comes out of that if you're living that out? They're, who, who are they going to come to when marriage crashes, cancer diagnosis, loss of a baby, 
loss of a loved one, economy crashes, what are we going to do with our work? What's going to happen with our jobs? Who do you think they're going to talk to? The arrogant, brash, prideful person? Or the person who's got this identity in Christ? It's okay. We're going to be okay. How can you say it's going to be okay? Here, let me, let me share with you a little bit. So do you see the difference there? So we're in process. We are in need of grace. Um, and the reason I hit on that so hard all the time is because, again, I'm reading big uh, pieces across the country that even in the Bible Belt, not, not to mention the, the, the Northwest, uh, uh, the Northwest with Seattle, and then uh, the Northeast with you know, Boston and New York, those type places, and then the West. Uh, but I'm talking Bible Belt. This is why people are saying we're resisting the church. We're, we're, we're fine rejecting the church. Because if that's it, I don't want any part of it. And so now, part of that is, is all, again, we don't change and become what they want. And another thing you've got to remember, this, the spiritual warfare that's going on, Satan is blinding them. You, you could literally, I, I really do believe, guys, we, you are a joy to lead. You, we, I know people are, everyone in here is like, when we give, we give generously of time and different things. So, um, I, and I'm, I'm not on social media, so when I'm going into those things, I don't see any, so if you are the one that's just, you know, every Monday, like, hey, who's 10 people I can kill on social media today? Who, you know, I'm going to get on Facebook and just, or you know, Instagram, I don't even see it. So I, I'm not on those things, so I don't even know. And, and by the way, guess what? See that? I'm doing just fine without all of them. You can do just fine without all of them. You're fine without all of them. Um, and so on that, I'm saying be aware that that's the places where people are going, man, I don't want any part of that. And so let's be different in that. Um, um, and I hit on that because this is what people are saying all over the place about Christians. And it can lead to a great opportunity or you're part of the, the, the junk that people say, I'll never be a part of it. So let me pray as we go off into Matthew 5. And by the way, this is going to be a little bit shorter today, hopefully. So we're, we're not going to spend, uh, there was a lot of buildup as I usually do. And then we'll get into the scriptures and just measure out. Let, let's assess where we're at. So Matthew 5, I could have went to a lot of different places. Man, this is Jesus' first time. Like, hey, here's what my kingdom's going to be like. And it shocked the world. It shocked everyone present. And I usually teach through, by the way, a Sermon on the Mount about, and when we were doing college ministry, I did it every two years, two to two and a half years. As a church, I think you need to do it every three or four years because you got new people come in and they don't understand what actual being saved. The very, pre, uh, Matthew 5, he just lays out, here's what it would look like for regeneration. Here's what being saved would look like. If this is not going on in your life, you need to really check, are you truly saved? And so going through it every three or four years is really a good practice, I'd say. Um, so let me pray and we'll get off into Matthew 5. Lord, we thank you that you not only um, do this, you, you give us your word, you, you give us Christ in the flesh, God with us to show us and, and to, to reveal to us what you are like, that the full image of God was represented in him, was, was showed off, he was highlighting the Godhead, and you not only give us that, his life, his death, his resurrection, the power there, but you also say that now we're built into this as reconcilers, that we are working alongside um, we can't go and do it on our own, but the Spirit is wanting to work. You want to work around us. And so, God, we want to see people's eternity changed. Um, we, we don't know how the baby steps of that look, and so we ask for you to give us wisdom on just self-awareness of where we're at. Um, we know that you have perfected in all holiness and purity what true Christianity is, what the true local church is, and what the true Christ is. We're not saying we need to change that, Lord. We're saying, would you help us be better reflections of the true Christ, that we would be pointing people to him in everything that we do. I pray that you'd allow us to see opportunity this upcoming year instead of just opposition. There's lies. A lot of people feel it. A lot of people are feeling the pressure already. Instead of fight and opposition being the key words, would you allow us to see opportunity? Uh, and would you let us see this from your word? Let, would the spirit begin to change us in little bitty ways? In your name we pray, amen. So let's look there at Matthew 5. If you want to turn there, we'll have the, the scriptures on the screen there. Matthew 5, um, and we're, this is the, the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you didn't know, Jesus was his first time on the scene. He had done a few little things, and then all the disciples were with him. He had called his disciples up, and he had the 12 disciples. This is the first time this huge public thing. And so he... Uh, addresses this crowd. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're just going to read uh, 1 through 11. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And so the whole bigger crowd is around them. Uh, people have said, you know, 5, 10, 15,000 people. Um, it was also so how we stand up as the teacher stands up to teach. It was the uh, uh, signature thing for a well-known, respected rabbi or teacher. When they sat down, that's when people knew that they were going to teach. So just so you all know that. You read that several places, like Jesus sat down. That was a, a signifying thing of a teacher there, a rabbi. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So again, I'm not doing a teaching on the Sermon on the Mount right now, but that was shocking. The religious Pharisees, the leaders of the church, the chief priests are all gathered because he's starting to cause this problem stuff, and they're standing back watching this go on. They're, they're, what are they? They're jealous. They're frustrated. They're worried about him stealing money from these people that are, have been coming to their synagogues and stuff. And here's this, this carpenter's son. This, he's one of the commoners. He's not gone through their schools of theology and their schools of teaching, and they're standing over there watching that. What about the, the regular folk, the 99% of just ever remember? There was a lot of uh, statuses back then. You had the maybe the, the 0.0001% rich, and then you had everyone else, and then you had the religious sect, right? And so here are just the commoners, which all of us would have been in, right? And, and so this is shocking. Not the elites. In, in, inherit the kingdom of heaven, not the ones with the most power, not the ones that, are, that are, have everything together and are so righteously appearing, the poor in spirit. And the reason that's shocking was because the word, the word he used in Aramaic, he was speaking Aramaic in the Greek, that poor in spirit, it's this picture, and they, everyone saw this, you know, uh, you saw this beggar, so look, look around, drive around, I drive through this place seven days a week, um, you see people. Um, and so it's a picture of this beggar holding their hand out, shaking because why, why would you be shaking? Because there's 14-year-old boys that, that run around, and what do they do? They go by, and as, sometimes they would, the, the beggar would cover their face in shame because they're not accepted by society. Sometimes it was because they had uh, leprosy or different things, and so they're they cast out. What, and what did that mean to the people? It was like wearing a big shirt, that, that you are unclean. You're clearly not of God at all. That's why you're in this place. The rest of us are living life. You're unclean. You're separated from God. You're a horrible person. You must have done some horrible things. You're one of the worst, and that's why you're in this position. So shame covering their face, hands sticking out, trembling, because 14-year-old boys, what do they like to do when they see that guy at the mall? Kick him. Ah! Groups, four, five, six boys, right? That, that can happen. So picked on, looked down on, and Jesus goes, that picture, that guy. Blessed are those who are broken in spirit. And what that understanding that is, they understand the complete depravity. They understand their complete broken and uh, uh, devastated spiritual separation. They're poor in spirit. They're spiritually bankrupt, nothing to give. No way a God would accept them because people don't accept them. And so Jesus starts it out with that. So that's why you can see great picture of salvation. Not, it's not about were you rich or poor. So when churches teach this and go like, this is talking about poor people and rich people. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's that picture of this, this just desperate beggar going, if someone doesn't reach out and grab my hand, if someone doesn't put something in my hand, I have nothing. In this picture of the poor in spirit is the one who God takes their hand and goes, no, I'm not giving you money. Grabs their hand, pulls them up, breathes life into them. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who recognize their brokenness and sin. Crowd is stunned. Complete culture shift. Like, I thought he was going to say something else. And Jesus goes, does this beauty. Hey, it's open for everyone. Your status doesn't matter. Wherever you lie, even the worst of the worst, this kingdom is open to you. And that was shocking news to them. Again, very first sentence, is that your identity? Or do we tend to get a little puffed up after some time? Because now I've learned some doctrines. Now I know, I know I've been in lots of Bible studies. I've learned something. My family, we do things right. We are doing all these things. But man, that's great. If your obedience flows from love for Him, that, that's exactly what we want. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs, they're going to find out, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Completely countercultural. Is it countercultural today? Still is, isn't it? How many people do you know that talk openly about their sin and their need for grace? It's kind of unheard of, isn't it? Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Which, by the way, that word satisfied, I think, is something we're always seeking, always wanting, without even realizing it. We're looking for satisfaction. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, Jesus shocks the crowd and says, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what followers would look like. This is their identity. So let's look at the first one there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We just laid that out. That does not fit at all with their culture. It doesn't fit with the idea of the direction that the religious wanted to hear. It it didn't fit with all the commoners, that picture of humility and brokenness in spirit, recognizing your spiritual need, your need for grace, and a spiritual uh, spiritual bankruptcy. So as God's people, if we're not careful, we could be very prideful. And so that may not be you in particular. That may not be you in your workplace. That may not be you in your neighborhood. That may not be you in your family. Uh, But a lot of Christians struggle with that, with with things that they, um, you know, even in their own family, their brothers and sisters, their parents, whatever, uh, they just struggle with that. And then after years of trying to be right, trying to be right, and trying to be right, and trying to be right. And, And by the way, you probably were. You probably were. When we were in Tahlequah, um, we were teaching certain things in the Bible. And so then I was discipling guys. And what would happen was I would say, hey, so just biblically, um, uh, they, may, they may come and say, like, hey, why does, why does this church have elders and deacons? I'd say, well, let me show you here in Titus and Timothy. It says elders and deacons, very clear. Here's what the Greek meant. Here's what this thing's meant. So biblically, the church has elders and deacons. We're not better than anyone else. We're just The Bible says that you should have this. Oh, okay, thank you. I don't know, but they go home that weekend. Hey, Dad, aren't you a deacon at our little Baptist church? Aren't you a deacon at our Assembly of God church? Uh, yeah, son. Hey, Dad, I was just wondering, why did you guys decide to grow, uh, raise all of us kids in a very unbiblical church? And so, and, and so I didn't know this was going on, but their parents were like, what? And like, well, I've learned this. And so they you know, begin to lay that out. And so, so that I, was, I got letters, got phone calls, all kinds of stuff. I'm not going up there telling them, like, your church is pitiful. Your mom and dad failed pitifully. Your mom, and, like, and I'm talking a hundred different things uh, on discipleship. Hey, mom, dad, wh- why do you think that our, our church was, our youth group was so unbiblical? We never had discipleship going on. You never personally discipled me. You know, like all these different things. And we, we weren't saying, like, hey, your church failed this. We were saying, here's what we should be doing. And, and, and then kids were just taking that. And so I was getting all kinds of stuff, you know, and it's looking like an enemy. And so in that, it's not a matter of, of trying to be prideful about it. In fact, if you start learning to do some of those things, what should it lead to? More humility. Thank you, God, that you allowed us to see this. And if, if anything ever happens of this, it's you working. Not because we're smart enough to get things right. But what typically happened was, man, I'm 21, and I just learned some stuff. My mom and dad's church, they were foolish. Oh my gosh, there's things I didn't know about theology, things I didn't know about baptism, things I didn't know about all this stuff. About the, the, the church, it's not meant to be prideful, but if we're not careful, we just get a little arrogant. Um, and so assess that. Are we poor in spirit? Uh, blessed are those who mourn. So who, who, who wants to be around a mourner? Um, Man, I, I've got several people. Anyone shows any sign of need emotionally or physically, and I've got people that are just like, I'm done. I'm all done. They're like, they can sense it out along. I'm like, no, we got to move towards it. And like, they're like, nope, nope, I can't. Like, and I'm just like, God, we're supposed to do that. And it's like, I, they're emotionally needy. I do not have, I'm like, we're supposed to have time for them. And so I know it's tough. I know it. there's a cost involved, right? Uh, no, I want everyone who's on a, you know, mobily upward uh, lifting, we're, we're moving forward, and, and I don't want anyone that's going to drag me down. And so, man, those who mourn, what about leaders who mourn? See any books about good leadership books in the top 10 on leadership about your, your leader who mourns? Got a presidential candidate coming up. Man, all we know is he spends like three hours 
in prayer and solitude, and he's crying a lot. Oh, check that box. That's what we're looking for, right? Like, no way. Uh, my, our CEO, I just, I went in for my job interview, and the guy was talking about, he, he, I could tell he'd been crying, his eyes were wet, he'd been weeping, and he told me that. I moved on before we finished the interview, right? So like, that's not something that we look at. And obviously I'm joking because it's a, a different situation, but man, those who mourn, are you comfortable mourning over your sin? Do you ever mourn over your sin? That's what, this is speaking about mourning over sin is what Jesus led to here. My identity, are you mourning over the, thing, the sin of this world? And I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying in a legalistic form that you need to start next week and you need to force some fake tears as you do read the news and see what's going on in these different places. I'm not, not fake tears, but man, is your heart so fast forward and worried about what's going on in your life and success and success and where we're moving that, that I can't even read those stories because that, that man, that's a downer. It was shocking. This is the kingdom. You want these type of people? There's something of depth there. There's something of beauty there. Jesus said, this is the crucified life. Jesus saw something and shows us something in depth of loss. Those who mourn, there's loss. As believers, you're not always entitled to come out ahead. You're not supposed to fake joy. There are seasons of healthy mourning. Why? Because you learn to depend on and love the one who can comfort. And I'm saying our identity sometimes is wrapped in, I don't have time to mourn. Because I am self-sufficient. I'm independent. I don't need a comforter. I look at people who need a comforter as weakness. I'm saying a lot of people say, that's the church. And Jesus said, man, this is my people. This is what it would look like. So think through that. Blessed are the meek. So meek does not mean weak. Meek is not weakness. In, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, you learn that Jesus, the meekest person ever, all power and authority. Um, there's uh, all kinds of things he could have done, right? You know, someone not kind of smacked him back with some smart talk. He could be like, click, you know, clicked his heels like Cinderella or whoever. And uh, I know that wasn't that. And so and then and lightning bolts fly down and uh, um, destroy the person. That could have been an interesting Bible story, right? <laughs> the rest of the history of the earth, we'd all been worried, like, don't do that. And so all power, and so meekness is power restrained. Friends, acquaintances, co-workers, they ever say stuff that you disagree with? Am I showing them grace? Not, not afraid of truth. And you, you may be the, the, the bold, I want to be the bold one, I got to be Paul, I got to be Paul. Okay. I'm just saying, they're, they're sick of the Pauls. No one's listening to the Pauls. And what I mean, you're, you're probably not being a Paul. You, you, you've got a picture in your mind of what, what Paul did and the way he did it. And you're thinking, that's, that's how we got to be. And that's not how Paul was at all. What was Paul going? Re read 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, all his books. Brokenness, weakness, feebly, crying. Here's why I'm typing out on my, oh man, I can't wait to and set that grenade off on social media. Bam! Yeah. Yeah, I, I got him. Felt good. That wasn't Paul. That wasn't what he was doing. It was in weakness and trembling and fear and, and meekness, power restrained. Jesus could have, could have destroyed every single one. And, and meekness is power restrained, ultimate power restrained. So when you see things on social media, do you have power that you could? You have the power and the freedom and the right to do that. Power restrained. Just breathe in. It's okay. It's all right. Someone says something that you disagree with. What do he say in verses 10 and 11 there? Hey, when people take shots at you and do these things, hey, Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. That's not what you feel. That's not what you feel. I'm going to attack them. They want to say that about me. They want to say that about my political party. They want to say that about uh, my, my Christianity. They want to say that about... It's all right. God's got control. So some beautiful things there in just these early stages of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Are you known as a peacemaker? Those qualities, that's what the kingdom folk are. That's what they are known for in dealing with people, in relationships, workplaces, social media, parents and bleachers, parents dealing with other parents, teachers, coaches, church people. And what the surveys and books and reports are saying is that Christianity is often not. It's not showing those qualities off. It's not known for those qualities. Again, 
I have to preface this and say this repeatedly. Sankey is not saying, you in particular, you, each one of you, you are failing at each one of these. Sankey is not saying, sojourn people are the ones doing that. I'm saying large swaths across the country. Christians are not being known for all those things, but instead known for these other things. Um, right now there's a, just a trend of just people being offended and angry. Um, do you know that there are many Christians who go hunting, scrolling, trolling social media feeds just to go on the attack, just to either start a fight or join in a fight or attack that's already going on? But then, but then, after we do it, then they'll, they'll come to me like, man, verse 10 and 11, man, I'm just being persecuted for right. Like, no, 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 no. You spent 30 minutes or two hours reading and doing this and that. Like, you, you went looking for this, and then you, you saw the fight going on. You knew they, they put something out there. They set off at a grenade, and you had three grenades in the name of the Lord because you're the good Christian, and they're not. And then you set it off. Don't act like now you're the righteous one being persecuted. Like, oh, I'm just in the name of the Lord. I'm just being persecuted. No, you went looking. For, it took you two hours to do that. You know, and, and so we're, and so it's like this sign. So it, it, we're offended and angry. And so you're walking down the street and there's this coffee shop and it says hot coffee. There's a sign that says hot coffee. And that you just stick your head like, I didn't want hot coffee. I like it when it's cooled down. And they're just like, whoa, I, I just, I, I just had a sign up that said hot coffee. You got all offended. You, you, you went on the attack. I, I just said hot coffee. And we just put it out there and, and you're sticking your head in the door. Mad, mad and angry, ready to start a fight. And I, I'm not saying that's some of you. I'm not, and again, I don't, I actually, I, in all truthfulness, I do not know because I'm not on any of it. But what I'm saying is that is what's being um, said. Once social media comes out, what did Christians do beforehand? They couldn't write those ads in the paper. You definitely couldn't post it minute by minute, hour by hour, right? So, but now everyone's opinion is gospel truth. And sometimes what's happening is I'm saying that we're offending people and we're, we think we're representing Christ and, and the gospel, and, and we're not at all, but they are going, yeah, you think you're a Christian, and that's how you're treating us. Or, 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 and sometimes are you right to, to, to say, uh, state certain things? You bet. Whether that's conversations or in social media, to, to stand on some truth. I'm never saying we don't stand for truth. The posture and the way that we do it, and if you're going looking for a fight, that's what a lot of Christians are doing. And everyone is saying, that's why everyone's sick of it. So, with us, we want to be different there. Our biblical convictions, Bible, prayer, gospel-centered conviction, repentance and renewal, um, Christ-captivating discipleship, missions and evangelism, grace-oriented diversity in community, and humble generosity in service and resources. So in all those things, um, those are biblical convictions. So we, we go into the Bible and we say, um, these are, seem very clear in the Bible. This would be the type of environment we want created. Now, next week, we're going, to, we're going to look at these and go, why is biblical or being biblical, why is that not a core value? Well, so for example, um, I don't value the Bible. It's completely a conviction I have. I value other things that, that may happen or may not. I can't let this one be a may happen or may not. I have a conviction about this is the authority. This is what we stand on. Um, so I don't just value the Bible. It's got a different place. It is everything to me. And so, and I know, I know it's not popular right now. Uh, I've been talking to different people. Um, uh, the issue on uh, women in, in, in leadership, women in the, the, the pastoral role in church in Tulsa, we're one of the leading cities, us in Atlanta probably. And so I know people look at me as a bigot or an idiot or stupid or abusive because we have an elder male role and we have deacons that are male and female. But the elder, biblically, in the Greek, it's very clear that it's a male role. It's not because there'd be a lot of women who are better speakers, better communicators, smart, much smarter, much more gifted than me in different things. But the Bible lays out just very clearly, elder is a male role. Um, do I wish that God would have just made it both, both ways? I, I, I know because he's, he's wiser. There's a reason for that. And it's not because men are better than women or smarter than women at all. But I'm going to just go, hey, this is my authority. I don't know why. I'm not smart enough. He knows. He'll probably explain it later. We have eternity to learn that. But I'm going to trust this. It's my authority. I don't just value this. This is everything we stand on. Uh, the gender issues that we're facing. 
Man, it's just difficult. It's difficult. We were talking to a group the other day. If you're in certain corporate places and they're having lots of meetings to tell you, you know, here comes a person, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of or make light of or anything. I, I, I do a lot of counseling. I've met with these people for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and so going back over 20 years, I've met with people who thought they, you know, male has all the male parts, all these things, and they, had, they said that they were this. They said that they were this. They said that they were this. Uh, our kids, we've got to, how can we teach our kids to stand on this when you're looked at as wrong and offensive and attacking and a bigot, man, we're just going to have to stand. And in, in, in 12 years, if they come in and say, you can't open these doors and meet, if you're going to hold that up, then we're going to have to do what China does. Or, or some of us will have to go to jail. Because this, this, is, this is worthy of that. He's worthy of that. It's, it, in America, it hasn't happened that way. But everywhere else in America, it's always been that way, right? And so, But this is our authority. So we, we do more than value this. This is a biblical conviction. Prayer, we can't do without prayer. It's a conviction deep down. If we try to do this and grow a church on our own power with our, our cool pipe and drape and our beautiful building and beautiful ceiling and our, our wonderful Mother's Day room, um, if we just grow it on our own strength and beauty, you don't want that. You want the Spirit to do the work. And so uh, through prayer, we need to be a people of prayer. So small groups. A lot of churches have small groups, but there's not prayer in it. It's just time to get together and fellowship. We do those every once in a while, like a mealtime, but we want, we want to go into the Word and have time to get into the Word and then to have time for prayer um, every single time that we gather for our small group, unless it's a, a meal night. And we do those very, every six weeks or every 12 weeks um, our, our, while we're adding a, a corporate prayer time. Um, just a, a good start is once a month. I, I'm assuming that you're praying by yourself um, in, in other times. And so we want to do that corporately also. Um, those type of things. The conviction, repentance, and renewal. We know that, that that's some of the things that we say have to be there. For, for new life to come, for a lost person to be saved, has to have conviction of sin. There will not be one person in heaven who wasn't convicted of their sin, who, who didn't agree with God that their sin was wrong and they need holiness. They need the holiness from God, not, not their own strength. And that they're convicted, there's confession, there's repentance, a desire to turn and follow Christ in that. And that then there comes renewal, spiritual renewal, that then leads to learning how to, how to rest in Christ's work, not my own, which leads to greater worship and rejoicing. So all those things, diversity and community, uh, discipleship, missions, and evangelism, those are lifestyle things. We want great, great diversity to where the gospel speaks in, in a culture and in a country where, where it matters where you live, the neighborhood you live in, what color your skin is, and we go, no, no, no. We want people that are uh, across uh, different socioeconomic classes, so it could be a CEO, it could be a, a business owner, it could be someone making uh, you know, millions a year sitting right beside someone making 15000 a year, and they treat each other just the same, and they serve one another. It's not just the, the, the higher person in finances can only serve them. No, it's, it's the person that makes less serving them in different ways also. The body of Christ. The, the, the toe is not um, less than the, the finger, right? And so all of those things, the, it's a beautiful picture that God's put together. Um, a, a lifestyle of discipleship, all those things. Um, and generosity and service and resources. All beautiful opportunities as we look forward. So... Um, what does that look like as far as our, um, next week I'll talk about the marbles and the um, tapestry. But our closing walkaways, um, when we think about biblical convictions, we can rejoice that they are more vast and more beautiful and more connected to each other in our beliefs, but also how that plays out in the life of the church. So we want to help bring change to the way people view Christianity, the local church, and Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to help bring this needed change, especially in a culture so polarized, so angry, so offended, and so ready to fight. And we have an identity in Christ that's, it's okay. I can, ha I can live in meekness. I can live in grace. I can show mercy when they don't deserve mercy. When they attack me, I, I, can, I can take that because of Christ, my identity in Christ. My Savior, the guy I say I follow that I want to be like, he got slapped and beaten down. I'm getting slapped and beaten down on social media or in, in our, our workroom or with, it's all right. I can pause. Maybe with eight people standing around, me attacking them back is fighting with the same weapons they're using. I don't need to do that. And it feels like I'm losing. It feels like I'm losing. And you are, but you're winning. But you're looking like Christ. And, and he says what? You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't the end. Your five-minute situation or your two-hour situation, that's not the end. This week, this month, this year, 
loss of a job, a crumbling economy, crazy uh, political situation. Like, it's not the end. It's not the end. We're, my identity's in Christ. It's okay. It's okay. If you want to be, I, I could have a whole, I got stuff written about. If you go back to, so if, if, you, if you go back and you go, man, I couldn't stand George Bush and them. Maybe, maybe you love Bush and all those things. But if you're a person who goes, man, Bush and them, they just got everything wrong, man. They did horrible and you go into your list and stuff. But like, did you survive that? Or, or did you survive? Did you completely leave everything, or like lose everything where you couldn't have money and you couldn't even live? Uh, then Obama takes on. There's some people who are like, oh man, when Obama, that's just when all the horrible stuff, man, all these different changes took place. So like, are you, you okay? You, you just, again, okay. Look at God's grace. Look at God's grace over it. Look, last four years, you may have hated uh, the Biden situation, right? But just, just look, you're okay. Some are, I mean, every year it's being gained and gained. We're doing better than we were four years ago. There's certain things out in culture out there that are kind of difficult, but like, I'm, I'm okay. My family's okay. It's much better than two-thirds of the world. And God's grace is on us. And so we can have that identity. We can have that kind of stuff. So Jesus followers, they do not have to be this way. They do not have to fear, do not have to worry, do not have to fight with the same weapons. And then also with the Spirit and this new identity, we can live these out. So this is not a, you may go, thank you, man, that, that stuff is so hard for me. I know. It's supernatural. Jesus knew. It was crazy preposterous for that crowd. And he's going, hey, baby steps. The first part is just, just like with an AA or an NA. If you've ever been to those things, like the first thing is admitting there's a problem. And if you're just like, mm, God, I don't like to hear this. Or just, this drives me crazy. Yeah, you're, you're not even the first step of going, man, I, I see I need change. And just, just my heart just calming and, and embracing. That, hey, Spirit, would you help me with this? Would you show me some of these things? Show me where I'm at. Where's my identity? Is my identity in, in just an entitled American and I, and I have to have it my way? And especially since I'm Christian too. Or is it just a, is it a, a humility and a meekness? And again, man, I'm, I'm going pretty light comparatively with Jesus. You're going to face him one day. And so thinking through that, we have a beautiful opportunity in a culture that we wouldn't make sense in, that we would be pointing to on the supernatural power of Christ. And so it opens opportunities to share with people. 